Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'd like to say it's really lovely to see you, but uh, of course I can't see you. Um, I have got one person here with me to, to encourage me, um, but um, it's really good to have this opportunity to open God's Word together. Now, last Sunday morning, you remember that we completed our series in the Sermon on the Mount, and then next Sunday uh, is Palm Sunday, and God willing, we're going to start a short three-part series for Easter. Uh, but this morning, as we face three weeks of lockdown, three weeks of being separated from one another, uh, three weeks of being left alone perhaps with our own fears and our own thoughts, uh, I thought it would be helpful to do something a little different. And so we're turning to a psalm. Uh, that has always been a source of tremendous encouragement for Christians in times of distress. So as we begin our time together this morning, can I ask you to open your Bible and to turn to Psalm 23. And uh, when we're all there, um, I'll pray and then I'll read the psalm for us. So Psalm 23 and uh, I'll pray. Our gracious God, thank you for giving us a clear and living word. Uh, we pray that you would help us according to our need, that you would remove the barriers that prevent us from hearing, from trusting and from obeying. And we ask that your word to us this morning would do us good and would cause us to honour you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now I guess that um, everyone is familiar with this psalm, with Psalm 23, not least because it's used so very often at funerals. Uh, that's a pity because there's only one verse in the psalm that speaks about death. And that tends to blind us, I think, to the main message of the psalm, which is about the privilege of having your maker as your shepherd. And not just for today, but also for tomorrow and forever. So it's a very wonderful psalm, and it's not just about funerals. And we should value this psalm very much indeed, because most of you have put your life into the hands of the shepherd, who is Jesus? And we know that the shepherd is Jesus because in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. 
And when you put yourselves into the hands of the Lord Jesus, you have a shepherd. But of course today we're living in a world that has very little interest in the shepherd. We're living in a world where people don't want a leader who might interfere with their lifestyle. So I think we need to recognise this morning how valuable this psalm is because it describes people who are going somewhere under the leadership of somebody who can take them there. Now in times of distress like the situation we're all facing this morning many people will call out to God even if they've never done it before. That of course is completely understandable, of course it is. But they have no real relationship with God because they've never surrendered their lives to Jesus as Lord and Saviour. So they don't belong to him and there is no obligation on God to answer. So for them, the journey ahead is very uncertain. Uh, If I can put it like this, uh, those who belong to Christ are on a safe train that is absolutely guaranteed to reach its heavenly destination. But those who don't belong to Christ are not on a safe train. They might think everything's fine. The Bible says it's not fine and their train is heading for a very different destination. But Psalm 23 talks about a people who are under the care of a shepherd God and he's leading his people into the future. So there is a shepherd, his name is Jesus, And this psalm is all about enjoying and experiencing life under his leadership. The title tells us the psalm was written by David. And David begins the psalm by saying that his shepherd is the Lord. Now notice, will you, in verse 1, that the word Lord is in capital letters. Uh, which is the way that our Bibles translate the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenant name of God, the God who has committed himself to his people with unbreakable promises. So basically what David is saying at the beginning of the psalm is I have the covenant God as my shepherd and because he's the covenant God he's more committed to me than I am to him. And you'll notice he is my shepherd. So he's not just the shepherd or a shepherd. He is my shepherd. And this shepherd provides for his people. David says that he restores us. He guides us into good paths even when we're unable to do that for ourselves. Now this morning uh, I want us to focus on just one verse, verse 4. Uh, It's a verse that's blessed millions of people for thousands of years. So let me read it for us again. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now I want us to think about three particular things from this one verse. And the first is the shepherd and valleys because in the Christian life there are valleys. Then second, the shepherd and safety, because it's possible to be safe in the valley. And third, the shepherd and comfort, because the shepherd knows how to comfort his people 
in the valley. So first then, the shepherd and valleys. Now it might strike you as rather odd that you're reading Psalm 23 and uh, it begins by saying I've got a shepherd and I go into green pastures and I've got still waters and I'm on good paths and that's what shepherds are supposed to do. Make my life uh, clean and green and smooth and wonderful. And then all of a sudden you're faced with the reality that in the Christian life there are valleys. And part of us will be thinking, well, why on earth does it have to be like that? Uh, I didn't sign up for the valleys. I said yes to a shepherd. And the shepherd's job is to make sure that everything is smooth. But verse 4 very clearly says, there will be valleys. And when we find ourselves in a valley like the one we're in this morning, uh, we sometimes think to ourselves, I wonder if he's failed me or whether I failed him and this is a punishment of some kind and I want to say that is not quite right I think it's better to say that like many valleys this particular valley is a symptom of what life is like in a world that's turned its back on God and decided that it can manage perfectly well without him and yet of course one of the strange things about the coronavirus is that it is revealing just how ridiculous that way of thinking is because all of a sudden the things we've been relying on to keep us safe have let us down and we're in a valley. So personally I find it very helpful that verse 4 warns me that in this world the Christian road is not all green pastures. I think that's very realistic. See, David, who wrote the psalm, knew that the Christian journey is not all green pastures. Uh, The Lord Jesus certainly knew that it's not all green pastures. The Apostle Paul knew that. And you and I need to know that as well. But you see, what distinguishes the sheep from the goat is that if you're a sheep, then whether you're in the green pasture or whether you're in the valley, you've got a shepherd. And that makes all the difference. This week I heard about a man who was fined by the courts in another country because he'd decided that his commute to work was frustrating uh, because of the sheer number of other cars on the road. So what he did was he went out in the middle of the night and painted arrows pointing out of the lane that he liked to use and directing traffic into other lanes so that it would make his journey to work much easier and smoother. Now, I can imagine he must have enjoyed doing that. What could be more enjoyable than making your journey to work smoother and easier? But whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, we're never going to be able to remove the valleys. Sometimes if we've got a little bit of money, we might make our lives a little easier. Sometimes if we've got skills, we might make our lives a little easier, but we will never be able to remove all the valleys. Now think with me how important this is for the seeker. Uh, They're just beginning to think about Christianity. Uh, They've begun to understand some of the great truths of the Gospel, about a fresh start with God, uh, a new family to belong to, and a wonderful hope they didn't have before. But then as they, they read the Gospels carefully 
they realise that Jesus isn't simply calling them into green pastures. Jesus says that the seeker will have to take up a cross as well. And that is both a very serious, but also, I think, a very helpful warning. Or think for a moment about the person who's become a Christian. They've just become a Christian. And uh, he's thinking, this is terrific, I'm forgiven, I'm part of God's people, there's a future for me, I'm loving the things I'm learning in the Bible. And then the coronavirus comes along, and he's cut off from his church family. Uh, Somebody in his family gets sick, he loses his job. And the new Christian says, well, why have I fallen into this valley? What, What on earth was the point of giving my life to the shepherd? But you see, the truth is that he or she is in the valley with the shepherd. And it's the same, isn't it, for the older, more established Christian. Uh, For years, the road has been fairly smooth for you, fairly trouble-free. Maybe the truth is you're getting a little bit stale in your Christian life. And then you find yourself in a valley like this one. And God begins to teach you in a very profound way what is really important and what really matters. And you see, in a valley, what is really important is not your circumstances, It's your companion. So I think of how Jesus began his ministry. Do you remember he went out to be baptised and as he's coming up out of the water, the father calls out, this is my son, and the spirit descends on Jesus and the spirit begins to lead him. And uh, you think to yourself, well, if the spirit is leading Jesus, this is going to be fantastic. But the spirit leads him straight into the wilderness and into a confrontation with the devil and later on of course Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem uh, for Jesus Uh, Jerusalem is going to be a very serious valley indeed and when he allows himself to be arrested and then taken out of the city and placed on the cross he goes into the deepest valley in the entire universe Uh, bigger even than crucifixion deeper than death because he goes into the valley of God's wrath with all of our sins on his back. So friends, I want to say to us this morning that in the Christian life you need a valley theology. Uh, Some Christians have a marvellous green pasture theology. They think to themselves, you know, God is going to solve all my problems immediately. But you need both. You need a a green pasture theology because God is good but you also need a valley theology because that's the reality. So when the path does become a reality uh, become a valley uh, as it has for all of us with this virus you can say to yourself the Lord told me about it and he is with me. The shepherd and the valley. That's the first lesson from verse 4. The second lesson is the shepherd and safety. You see, in verse 4, David says there, I will fear no evil. Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I won't fear. I don't know about you, but I I always find it rather depressing when you meet Christians uh, who give you the impression that all fear has somehow disappeared and they've become like Superman and if you're frightened for some reason or other well you're letting the side down 
David doesn't say that. He says, I will fear no evil. You see, fear is an unavoidable part of life. Uh, It started back in the Garden of Eden when the man and the woman broke fellowship with God and they hid from him. And uh, you remember that God came looking for them, uh, calling out, where are you? And the man said, I was afraid, so I hid. And you see, ever since then, fear has been a normal part of human experience. And uh, some of that fear does us good because it keeps us from becoming complacent. But from time to time, we must expect to be afraid, as many people are this morning. Because the coronavirus is an invisible enemy. It's spreading like wildfire. Uh, A cure seems to be a long way off. And in the meantime, we find ourselves at home in a lockdown and fear is never very far away. It's entirely natural. And David says, I will fear no evil. I should say that, of course, sometimes our imaginations get the better of us and we imagine lots of terrible possibilities, most of which never actually happen. Indeed, David, who wrote this psalm, said on one occasion, Saul will kill me. But actually, Saul never killed David. So there are imaginary fears. But David doesn't say that there are no fears. What he is saying is that the real danger, the real danger has gone because evil has lost its ultimate power over you. Now what valley is David talking about when he talks about going through the valley of the shadow of death? Um, Is he there talking about the valley of normal suffering or is he talking about the valley of dying? So uh, I tried to find out the the real meaning of the phrase, the valley of the shadow of death. And uh, I discovered it's the same word that we often hear at Christmas in Isaiah chapter 9, where the prophet says, in the land of darkness, a light has shone. And uh, that land of darkness is quite literally shadow death. And in Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death is one word in the original. It is shadow death. So in life, there will be many valleys, but there is one particular valley that is the deepest of them all. And David the psalmist says, when you're in that valley, in the deepest valley, fear no evil. Remember, will you, that David wrote Psalm 23 long before the cross and the resurrection, uh, probably about a thousand years before. But he's predicting quite rightly that for the believer, death is safe. Because, you see, the cross and the resurrection have taken the sting out of death for every believer, whether they lived before Jesus or came afterwards, because the cross works both ways. And the reason that it's safe for the believer to go through the grave is because it was dangerous for Jesus. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep in order that the sheep might escape the real danger of death. Uh, David Watson was a, a great evangelist in the UK some years ago. He died at the age of 50. But in his last few months, he wrote a book about his struggle with cancer. And the title that he chose for the book was 
fear no evil. And that's exactly right. Donald Barnhouse was an American preacher. His wife died at a young age and as he was driving to the funeral, uh, he was sitting in the back of the car trying to comfort their young daughter. A huge truck came bearing down towards them and uh, as it went past, the shadow of the truck went over the car and uh, Dr. Barnhouse says that he turned to his daughter and said, would you rather have been hit by the truck or by the shadow of the truck? And she said, by the shadow of the truck. And Dr. Barnhouse said to her, look, your mother has been hit by the shadow of death because Jesus took the full impact. So the shepherd is the one who makes us safe. He doesn't necessarily remove all fears, but there is no evil to fear. And like a parent shielding a child from a bee, and then the parent gets stung by the bee themselves, Jesus has shielded us from the sting of death and taken it into himself. And David the psalmist puts this prophetically and perfectly when he says, fear no evil, because no evil can get a grip on you. And David says that the believer will go through the grave. And the New Testament, of course, picks that idea up and says, of course you'll go through the grave because the righteous died for the unrighteous to bring you safely to God. Well, if only everybody knew that. I can't think of anything more important for people to know this morning. That once you put your life into the hands of the Lord, all evil, all danger is gone, even in a global pandemic. He makes us safe. The shepherd and safety. And then lastly, and very briefly, the shepherd and comfort. David says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now when David talks about comfort, uh, it's important to understand that he is not saying that God is committed to our first class comfort. Uh, many years ago there was just one occasion when I was fortunate enough to fly first class on a business trip and it was indeed extremely comfortable. Uh, but these days whenever Gillian and I go to the United Kingdom we're squashed into economy class with our legs round our ears which after 12 hours is pretty uncomfortable. Now when we read verse 4 it is important to know that God is not committed to giving us first class comfort or even business class comfort. And can I say that when that idolatry comes into the church that we somehow must have a first class Christian experience it is time for us to go back to the New Testament and rediscover what Jesus says about Christian discipleship because Christian discipleship is a very wonderful thing it's a very wonderful journey but there is no promise about first class comfort now the idea is that in the valley where we are safe from evil the good shepherd is able to bring us the comfort that we need I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now there are two lessons here, and uh, you may already be familiar with uh, one of them. But did you notice that until now in the psalm, 
David has been talking about the shepherd. He says the Lord does this and the Lord does that. But now in verse 4, as he finds himself in the valley, he's talking to the shepherd. You are with me. So in the first few verses of the psalm, the shepherd seems, as it were, to be out in front leading us. But now in the valley, he seems to be alongside us, comforting And we know that the Lord can do this, that he can bring appropriate comfort according to the challenges we're facing in the valley, whether it's an earthly valley or whether it's the final valley. And isn't it true that we sheep are often more grateful for the Lord in a valley than we are in the green pasture? Because you see, the Lord can use the valley to restore our faith when it's beginning to drift or our assurance when we're beginning to doubt or our priorities when we're beginning to lose focus. So as Christians, we learn more in valleys than we do in green pastures, even though the Lord gives us both. And it's important to say that we are not in more danger in the valley. Uh, We're just as safe just as safe as we are in the green pasture and we're not closer to the Lord than we were in the green in the valley than we were in the pasture we are always in close relationship with him but perhaps we appreciate him more in the valley than when we're munching the green pasture and getting rather fat and sleepy by the way the word comfort is an interesting word The first meaning of the word in the original is change the heart. And sometimes it refers to God changing his heart because he appears to relent. Um, Although what he's actually doing in that situation is what he loves to do rather than what he warns us he will do if we continue to drift. But when it comes to us having a change of heart... What God does is to comfort us so that our heart moves from being unsure to being sure, from being frightened to being bold. And God is able to do that. Um, I'm sure you're going to be able to think of the way that the Lord has provided for Christians that you know who've passed through deep valleys and perhaps for the way that he's provided for Christians as they've passed through the last valley, the valley of death. And the Lord knows how to do that, and he loves to do it. A few years ago, uh, a Christian friend of ours was dying of cancer, and Gillian and I went to visit him. The end was near. We weren't sure what frame of mind he would be in when we arrived. And so rather tentatively, uh, I asked him how he was, And uh, to our surprise, he gave us a huge smile and reminded us of a sermon that I'd preached years before on the parable of the prodigal son and particularly the welcome the prodigal son received from the father when he came home. And he told us that the Lord had used that sermon to, to comfort him, to strengthen him as the end drew near. And you see, what was happening was that he was modelling for us and I guess for many other people the sufficiency of Christ even as he was in 
the deepest valley. And friends, we do need the shepherd to go with us through the last valley because, of course, everybody else has to pull back, don't they? No one else can go with us down that deep valley and bring us out the other side. Only the Lord can do it. So David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What are the rod and the staff? Well, the rod is what the shepherd used to drive away the wild animals from the flock. And uh, the shepherd used the staff to bring back the sheep when they were wandering away. So this, you see, is how God does his comforting. He, He drives away those things that are fatally damaging to our faith and he brings us back when we're wandering off. He uses the rod and he uses the staff. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, I've been through some valleys, including this valley that we're all in this morning, and the truth is that I didn't sense any particular protection or provision from the Lord. But I want to say to you that what God has done for his people in all our earthly valleys and in the final valley is to provide exactly what we need. And he is able to bring a comfort and even a boldness which is absolutely supernatural. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce was the Presbyterian minister in Philadelphia for for many years. And uh, towards the end of his ministry, he was about to preach the Good Friday sermon. And just before the service, he was given the results of the tests he'd had at the hospital a few weeks before. And the tests showed that he was suffering from terminal leukemia. But when he read those results out, he didn't flinch for a moment and he said to the elders of the church, this is why the gospel is the gospel. So I'm going to preach just as we planned because this is why Jesus came and lived and died and rose again. And in one of his books he says, if Jesus is your shepherd, he will look after your needs and he will look after your resting And he will look after your life and your guidance and your safety and your provisions and your future because that is the mark of the shepherd. So I want to close this morning by saying to you that you should be meditating on the fact that the Christian life with the shepherd is going to involve valleys and that shouldn't be a surprise. But he is with us and if we belong to him It means that we're safe and it means that he's going to be seeking to comfort us. That's our shepherd. But if you're not a believer this morning, then your number one priority is to put yourself into his hands so that you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. And again, if you're a believer, then verse 4 should make you seriously concerned about those people in your circle who are on an unsafe train and you will be wanting to use the time we have in this current valley of the lockdown to steer them safely into the arms of the Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this very wonderful news, more wonderful than we can express and we pray that these great truths will penetrate our hearts and minds and bear much fruit 
And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.